Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be interviewing Michael Maddox from MaddoxAttorneys.com. Michael is board certified in criminal trial and has been practicing personal injury law and civil rights litigation since 1999 and has been named to one of the top lawyers in Tampa by Tampa Magazine back in 2021. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Special shout out to financial advisor, Robert Lehman, who actually connected us. Thank you, Robert, for the referral. So Michael, let's go back in time a little bit. What inspired you to go to law school in the first place? Wow. Well, I, my dad had always said that I would make a good politician, which then he said, of course, 90% of the politicians are lawyers. So you might as well go to law school. And that kind of hit me when at the end of my uh, college years at Florida State, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And other than my economics professor trying to recruit me into the CIA, I thought law school sounded pretty good. Well, I don't think we've ever heard the economics professor recruiting you into the CIA reason before. Um, so, all right. So you, your, you, your dad had an instrumental part in that sounds like, and then when you graduated past the bar, did you go into politics or did you go straight into practicing law? I went straight into practicing law, but it's a pseudo political job. Um, it's funny how the world works sometimes, right, Seth? It's, uh, I didn't know exactly what kind of law I wanted to do, but I did think I wanted to be a prosecutor because I liked the criminal justice system. And I applied to be uh, a young assistant state attorney at the office here in Tampa. And it turned out that the committee that interviewed me, uh, the head of the misdemeanor division where I'd work, I cut his grass in high school. So um, that was a good shoe in. He remembered me as the guy that raked a million leaves and cut the grass every weekend. I got the job and, you know, that's not necessarily a political job, but there are political ramifications of being a prosecutor. Absolutely. So then how'd you go from the prosecutor's office to, you know, the other side? Because you practice in three areas. I mean, there's civil rights, there's personal injury. And then criminal defense, which has got to be a different type of field. One day you're putting them away, the next one day you're locking them up, the next day you're putting them, helping them get free. Yes, that's that's a good question. Well, it's fun because 
I really was a committed prosecutor and believed in doing those things. My dad was a postal inspector, which is basically you investigate crimes committed in the mail system. And so I thought that was my perfect place. But as I worked my way through it, I went to the attorney general's office and uh, joined that prosecution unit called statewide prosecutors. And I had a fun time, but probably when I was about 27, I just got gripped with the idea that I needed more creativity. And I wanted the opportunity to spread my own wings and not necessarily be underneath the rubric of government. And so I hung my own shingle, didn't have a single case. I paired up with one of my friends from law school's father who had been practicing a long time. He uh, gave me uh, a room to rent and gave me every barking dog case he didn't want to deal with. And th there became a practice. So did you start out in criminal defense or did you start out in a different area and add that later? I started out in criminal because it was the flip side of what I'd learned as a prosecutor. Right. And it was where my energy was. And then I slowly uh, started doing, in Florida, we have no fault laws concerning driving. And one of the other lawyers in the office was doing what we call PIP suits, suing insurance companies. I kind of got into that. And then just started actively listening to my clients and realizing, well, I could do their own personal injury cases. And along the way, um, got into civil rights because I needed some CLE and went to Georgetown for an awesome uh, civil rights seminar so I could visit one of my best friends from law school and get some CLEs and just fell in love with civil rights. All right. So let's break down each area. Criminal defense, let's do first. Um, who's an ideal client for you? Is there a specific area? Because obviously there's lots of different types of crimes. You know, some people do, you know, capital first degree. Some people might do DUI. So, I mean, where do you fall in the criminal defense spectrum? I am all through that spectrum. I, I don't, I'm not death certified that I wouldn't want to do those cases. Not, I mean, I would, but I just have to get certified. Uh, so I've done, I like federal and state. Uh, right now I'm on the federal court appointed list. So I get a lot of uh, cases where they don't have the good fortune of having the money to hire a private lawyer, but, uh, and there's a public defender conflict. So that works out really well that I have the opportunity to represent those people. But an ideal private client would be someone who um, has, you know, there's a couple local law enforcement agencies I particularly enjoy sparring with because I think they tend to be heavy handed and abusive. And so those are the people that I like to represent to try to get them out of the thicket that they're in and then take a look at whether or not there's any civil remedies on the backside. What type, just for educational purposes, what types of crimes do you see most often? I see a lot of batteries on law enforcement. I see a lot of DUIs. I see a lot of theft cases. I see fraud. And I particularly have represented a lot of people accused of sex offenses. So everything from possession of child pornography to sexual battery, lewd and lascivious conduct. And in fact, right now have a big sex trafficking case. How do... I know obviously everybody deserves a defense and there are times that our law enforcement officers overreach, overstretch. How do you deal with the backlash? Well, the backlash is part of it is your own personal, uh, you know, can you have a connection with this person? Because I don't really want to represent people I'm not connected with. And if they're accused of these awful things, 
it, it can present this barrier. But what I found and what I think one of my gifts is, is that I find a way to connect with people no matter what horrendous things they might've been accused of or, and actually done because I, I'm a big believer in redemption. And I'm a big believer that the criminal justice system can be part of that. Certainly it's penal and punitive and there has to be restitution paid, but there's also some healing aspects to it if your client is willing to make some internal changes. And I try to do that dialogue with them. Well, that's incredible that you want to be part of the reformation and, and, and reinvigoration process. I love that. I don't know that every defense attorney feels that way. So that's rare and, and applaudable to you. Now, uh, let's flip sides to the personal injury side. What are the types of cases you're working on on the PI side? They're pretty straightforward. They're auto cases for the most part, but we do do some uh, premise liability cases. And I have participated in several cases where my clients have been the victims of sexual abuse and have sued. So really flip sides and yeah. become a person pursuing a civil remedy for somebody that's been sexually abused. So I've done that. Um, and along the way, you know, in the criminal too, I've enjoyed representing people that have um, what the world would call special needs. We've definitely represented a number of deaf individuals um, and their encounters with the police can be very difficult. That would be on the civil rights side, but also I've represented uh, deaf people accused of crimes and really just learned a lot about how um, society says they accept them and treats them com with complete equal equality, but that's not really true. Wow. So what are some of the biggest mistakes people make when they're in a personal, they, they have a personal injury, they need a lawyer. What are some of the biggest mistakes they make, you know, that you're helping them fix every day? See a lot of people that think that they don't need help. And, and that idea is that, well, the lawyer's just going to take all the money. The lawyers have an ability to get in there and work with the insurance companies in a way that they don't. We obviously have a working knowledge of what a good place to maybe receive medical treatment is because a lot of people think they can go to their general practitioner. It's not bad advice, but they're just not prepared to work with people who have soft tissue injuries that can be painful or have herniated discs. And they're more on the, you know, well, this is a healthcare plan and this is how you do it. And that doesn't really get you the kind of information and evidence that you need to support a case because in Florida, you have to show a permanent injury. If they're not documenting things and they're not prepared to maybe come to court, then you may not be able to prove your case. So we try to get together from the beginning to the end assurances that the focus needs to be on their healing. We'll take care of the legal issues. And then when they get to the backside and they're healed, we can then assess what the real value is. Uh, because it's, I'm not the doctor. I don't play doctor. Uh, I let the doctors do that, but I do know doctors that know how to play what we would call causation games. And, you know, because I, I hate to use the word game, but there's an art to doing a case. And if you don't do it right, the insurance company is going to say, well, you just don't have the goods. We're not paying. Then on the civil rights side, what types of cases are you handling there? Those cases run the gamut of excessive force, which can be uh, after a valid arrest, somebody is uh, manhandled by the police with. So the classic definition of excessive force is force gratuitous for the situation. And so if you have a suspect handcuffed, that's classically when things de-escalate, not 
escalate. I've seen things go the other way. That would be one. False arrests where people are being arrested without uh, arguable probable cause to believe they've committed any crime. Uh, we've done First Amendment cases where people are being retaliated against for videotaping the police. That's one thing that I've amazed at how much, despite memos that go out from attorneys that counsel the police, don't be arresting people just because they're videotaping you. They'll take their phones, they'll arrest them for resisting, and it's just ridiculous. So I've done a lot of that. Um, and I've done wrongful death shooting cases, and I have one now where, unfortunately, the officer struck my client and killed him with the cruiser when he was fleeing. That was not allowed. That case is currently pending. So it runs the gamut, and um, those are the most interesting cases because they're really a hybrid between criminal defense, because a lot of the cases originate from an allegation of a crime, but then they become a personal injury style case asserting the rights of the citizen not to have had their Fourth Amendment rights violated. You are at like the intersection in some cases, almost of all three areas. How do you stay on top of all of that? Well, it's part of the reason why I love my job and it's part of the reason why it can make you uh, feel like a whirling dervish because it really is hard. I mean, we one of the ways that I stay on top is we have an amazing uh, federal public defender in Central Florida and they do a lot of training. So I go to all the trainings because people like to put a bad label on public defenders, but they are a gift to society because they are hardworking, knowledgeable lawyers that are often underpaid for their caseloads. And so they know a lot of what's happening in the trench because they have the volume and the experience. So I learned from that and I do a lot of reading, obviously, and I'd like to go to a lot of civil rights seminars. I'm a member of the National Police Accountability Project that um, really prides itself on keeping us educated. There's some good listservs. And then one of the things we do at the office, I have two associates, is we roundtable most of our big cases so that we can have a number of different minds and perspectives contributing to the game plan. So we sort of team up and uh, then we uh, run the plan. You've been doing this a long time. You've achieved a lot of success. What's your biggest challenge now? I think the biggest challenge now is to keep my team motivated. They're very motivated, but um, it's very hard in the civil rights world to win. There's a, re I always joke, there's a reason why you don't drive down the interstate and see signs that the police kicked you, kicked your butt, beaten you up, call me, because nobody really wants to do this work. There's a lot of glamour cases in the media, and those cases are home runs, but for the average person having a negative experience with the police, it's very difficult to A, win under the law because of qualified immunity, and B, if you can get to a jury, to convince a jury that the officer should be responsible because they have the benefit of, I have a hard job and sort of this implied argument of, well, they made choices and they were poor and you know, you would never do that. Of course, they can't argue that it's a golden rule, but everyone's sitting there saying, well, I would never have told the police they were an a-hole um, and walked off from them. So I guess he kind of had it coming. And defeating those prejudices and those implicit biases becomes the challenge of my job. And so what we're constantly working on today and as we go forward is how to continue to reframe the narratives and the stories so that juries are compelled to deliver justice. Wow. I mean, your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you're doing? Uh, helping people, making a difference. There's no doubt that, um, you know, 
I mean, if you look at my website, we have some stories about just different ways we deliver justice that are not necessarily here's a big check for you. Um, having people feel supported. And sometimes, you know, in my civil rights cases, just having the officers come in in suits and be the defendants in a courtroom is an extremely meaningful situation for my clients because they finally feel like somebody listened and that they have an opportunity to uh, tell their stories versus what happens often, you file a complaint with the agency and they clear the officers and say they didn't do anything wrong. Officers don't lose their jobs typically, even when they make mistakes. So it gives a sort of a ventilation to the um, injustice that they've experienced and hopefully brings them some justice. Absolutely. For a uh, quick disclaimer, um, Michael is in the state of Florida, as you mentioned. If you are in a different state, please seek appropriate counsel there. We're not making any legal recommendations on this podcast. Michael, for our folks who are listening or watching and want to learn more, who are where you are licensed, where is the best place for them to go to learn more about you? Um, they can go to my website, which is Maddox, M-A-D-D-U-X, attorneyswithans.com. And we tell a lot of different stories there. There's some media links to um, some of the different things that I've had the opportunity and pleasure to be involved with. And, you know, I just pray that all of us as a community can continue to work for justice and understand that the police are not a bad set of individuals by nature. There are some bad eggs and that, you know, collectively, if we try to support them while also standing up when they make mistakes, I think we're going to get to a good space on that issue. That seems to be a big issue for all of us right now. Absolutely. Well, we know your time is incredibly valuable. We greatly appreciate you spending some of it with us. This has been Seth Green with Michael Maddox of MaddoxAttorneys.com. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure and a blessing. Thanks, Seth. Take care. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. And thank you, Robert Lehman, for the introduction. We will talk to you or see you all next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>